You're exactly right, Max. Every single one of them comes in with that fear, right? I'm gonna have to take a step back to be happy. And I don't believe that for a minute. We have this idea that when we do something new or different, all of a sudden, all of our experience from the past doesn't count. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Happy Friday, Tammy. Happy Friday, Max. How you doing? Good. How's the fall treating you? Uh, well, it's every day of summer where I am. So I am talking to you from sunny Belize on a little tropical island in Central America. So every day is summer down here. You're originally from the States, right? I am. Yeah. Originally from New York. And it's been a nice change to go from one island to another, from Manhattan to San Pedro. And what made you decide to make this huge location move? You know, I had spent my entire career as a Wall Street person, you know, as an executive for the last 20 years and managing director, C-level, had the big paycheck, the big job, the big apartment, all the fancy things. And, you know, after a while, quite frankly, I just got bored and I didn't love it anymore and it wasn't firing me up. So I decided to make a radical change. And so I cashed out of Wall Street, moved to a tropical island and started my coaching business about five years ago. So needless to say, you got the Sunday scaries in your Wall Street job and now you moved to Belize and now you're loving Mondays again, right? That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good segue. I try to transition a little personal background to our main topic at hand. So I think I did a good job, right? That's right. Excellent. Well done. Well done. All right. Thanks, Tammy. Okay. So (laughs) for people listening right now, if you haven't figured it out, our main conversation today with Tammy is how to combat Sunday scaries and pivot your career to love Mondays again. Because I think a lot of professionals right now, they're working, but they're not really loving what they do. Sure, they like the external benefits of a good paying job, like benefits of going on vacation every couple times a year, but they want to have more purpose. And then the Sunday scaries start creaming up and they feel stuck. So I invited Tammy on to discuss a little bit about her journey in terms of like how she was able to get out of that rat race and start living a life that she found a purpose in. So yeah, so Tammy, why don't you tell us more about how you started in Wall Street and then how you eventually decided that it's time to make a move? Yeah. And I think, you know, you brought up a really interesting point, Max, that so many people are in roles that don't light them up every day and that they feel, you know, comfortable slash stuck because the paycheck is good, you know, and all the stuff is good. But when you look at what you do every day, you know, it's pretty much, you know, either not exciting at all, or it's just a complete soul crushing drain. And that's really where the passion for me comes in is helping people get to that point where they don't compromise anymore. And in my career, I started, you know, I've got an underdog story, you know, just in terms of I grew up, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Turns out when I was 15, my parents split up. My mom didn't graduate high school because she got pregnant with me. And long story short, we were homeless for quite a bit when I was 15. And so that was a pretty big pivotal moment for me in terms of seeing how my mom struggled and what she went through. I'm like, oh, that's never going to be me. But I never went to college. Because by the time I got out of high school, like I was just so fried. My grades sucked anyway. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to work for a couple of years and then I'll go back and figure it out. And so I started in the staffing and the recruiting industry 100 years ago. And every year or so, I kept getting promoted. 
And I kept getting more responsibility. I kept moving around and I was just really engaged with what I was doing. Fast forward, you know, I you know, married kids. I never went to college. So I didn't get my college degree until I was 40. Yet I was one of the youngest managing directors on Wall Street in my mid-30s and the only woman around the leadership table and definitely the youngest. So I didn't come from, you know, any kind of pedigree or prestige or education or travel. I was a country bumpkin from New Jersey, right? And so when you think about my background and that story in my journey, I played my career like I had nothing to lose because I felt like I didn't have anything to lose. And with this, you know, just guttural instinct to just overachieve at every possible option, just so I didn't end up homeless again. And so with that in mind, I had a very low tolerance for BS. And when a job didn't serve me, either because it changed, I got a new boss, or I was just outgrowing it faster than it could keep up my pace, I would always make a change. And so throughout my career, I made 11 significant career changes and everything from sales to audit and in between. And so that's really where the habit came from in terms of if you don't like it, change it and being able to really step into jobs that got me excited every day. You know, and so that was persistent throughout my entire career. It changed a little bit based on my risk tolerance. You know, my husband at the time was a stay at home dad. So I couldn't swing for, you know, the fences every time when we had houses and planes and horses and stuff to pay for. But, you know, when I, as I got older and my daughter got off the payroll, she was out of college and done. Now I could take risks again, which is really why I decided this, the Wall Street career I loved for a very long time until I didn't. And then I knew that just going into another bank or going into another, you know, financial services institution would have just been the same crap, a different acronym, different day. So I wanted to do something radically different, which is why I ended up down here. Going back to what you said in terms of getting your education at 40, your bachelor's, what made you decide to go back to school? Was there a glass ceiling that you needed that education to get to the next level? Or was it more of a principal thing that you wanted to get the degree for you? For me, it was absolutely a checkbox activity. You know, I'd love to say I had this burning desire, but what had happened was I was being vetted to serve on a board of directors for a technology startup. And I was perfect for this startup. I knew all the right people could help them grow like crazy. You know, we really got along well in terms of the co-founders. I mean, this was a no-brainer in terms of my first board seat. And I got disqualified because I didn't have a degree. Because wow. it wouldn't have looked good on the press release. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I've run, I'm like, I'm running a $200 million PL with 2,000 people working for me across 36 countries. And you're going to disqualify me because I don't have that piece of paper, you know, but that was a bit of a wake up call for me. And that if I do, cause, you know, I do want to sit on boards and I'm, you know, I do lecture at Cornell and, and things like that now that, okay, this is something I'm going to have to do, not to be successful where I am now, but in my soft retirement if you will, you know, 10, 15, 20 years when I want to sit on boards and teach, this is going to be an issue. So I may as well get it done now. Okay. And how was your experience as an older student compared to like other ones that graduated high school and went straight to their programs? 
it was a lot easier. I felt like I could have taught every single class I took, you know, so, and I did it virtually. So, you know, in terms of accredited universities with online education. So that really helped because at the time I was a chief operating officer for a mid-sized consulting company, you know, single mom with a very, you know, with my daughter, she was an equestrian. So we were at horse shows every weekend. So that flexibility in terms of remote learning, so I was still traveling the world as well, really gave me the ability to go through and finish my degree without having to, you know, be in a classroom on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock every week. Right. So that just really gave me the flexibility, but it was interesting. You know, I don't think I learned very much, quite frankly, but I did get it done, which was the important part. (laughs) Was it a standard four year or were you able to accelerate it? No, I was able to accelerate it based on work experience. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. Uh, So I was able to get that done in two. So I'm like, okay, that, I mean, it's all two full years, including summers, but yeah, I was able to get that done. And you juggled it with your work as well, right? At the time? Oh my goodness. Yes. I was COO for a company and a single mom and all the things. So the timing could not have actually been worse in terms of when I decided to take this on. But you know, when it was done, I felt like I had all kinds of free time on my hands once it was over. You raise a good point. So some people are stuck in a job they don't like and they want to get out of it, but obviously they have to pay the bills still, right? So what do you recommend in regards to balancing your current job that you don't like, you don't really want to do and trying to carve out some time to invest in creating a plan and implementing it to get to where you do feel fulfilled? You know, I think there's a few things that hold people back. And there's some patterns that I've seen both in my corporate days, as well as as a coach. And I think people have kind of quit before they tried. They assume that loving your job is a pipe dream and that it only really happens to other people or it doesn't happen at all. And so we have this misguided belief that not loving your job is okay because no one else does either. And it's just crap, right, Max? I mean, you know, that is like the basic, you know, gating factor to having her fulfillment is you have to love what you do. And, you know, there's seasons for everything. So you fall in and out of love with things as it comes. But I think we immediately quit before we start by saying, it's okay for me not to like what I do. And many of us really associate a lot of our sense of self-worth with what we do for a living. And so when that is not fulfilling, engaging, and exciting, that bleeds over into all the other aspects of your life, whether you like it or not. Very few people compartmentalize. So I think the first thing that people need to think about is to challenge that belief that it's okay to be stuck in a crappy job just because you get paid well, or that it's okay to be stuck in a crappy job because your boss promised you're going to get a promotion, and you know that's probably not actually going to happen, even though you don't want to admit it. And so, you know, holding yourself and the opportunities that you're willing to apply your talents to, to a higher standard is critical. And knowing what lights you up, knowing what you're excited about, knowing those things that give you energy to where you could do them for 12 hours a day and never get tired, that's where you belong. And if you're not there, you need to get there now, right? And especially for those that are earlier in their career, you have far less things that working against you than if you're like, you know, my clients, which are typically, you know, they've got 10 to 15 years left, you know, so I think that's really important in terms of figuring that out. And when you know what lights you up, then you need to go for it. You bring up a good point. You work with clients that only have 10 to 15 years left of their career, right? And one of the biggest fears that I'm pretty sure that a lot of clients have conveyed to you is starting over. Let's say hypothetically, I make 250k in my fancy job. If I switch, I'm going to my income's gonna drop a lot. I just don't want to lower my lifestyle. So like, there's a lot of things that are battling them. Like they do want to make a change because they're fed up with what they're doing, but they don't want to give up the lifestyle that that job helped them get. And so it doesn't have to work that way. 
Right. So my clients, just as an example, you're exactly right, Max. Every single one of them comes in with that fear, right? I'm going to have to take a step back to be happy. And I don't believe that for a minute. We have this idea that when we do something new or different, all of a sudden, all of our experience from the past doesn't count. And I see this all the time, whether you've got 10 years experience in industry or you've got 10 years left until retirement, people discount all of the experiences that they've gained up to that point to use to their advantage. Now, the reason people are afraid that you're going to have to take a step back is because most people do because they do it wrong. But when you do it right, I've got this program that helps career changers go through that. On average, my clients are making 20% more than they were in their previous role. And my clients are highly compensated. So, you know, it does work. But there's one fundamental thing you need to remember. You've got the skills and the talents that you can apply to this next role that's going to light you up. And you need to take credit for that. Too many people feel like they've got their hat in their hand saying, give me a chance. I think I can do it. I know I can do it. How do I get somebody else to believe it? And so when you figure out what your secret sauce is, I call it your it factor, which is that thing that really makes you stand out from everyone else. When you know what that is and you can use that as you're networking and interviewing and doing that kind of stuff, you're not only able to do something completely different, but you're also able to make more money while you're doing it. So one of the issues that I have with my clients is like they want to make a career move, like a career pivot. Let's say they're in project management and they want to get into marketing. They don't know how to convey their transferable skills and a lot of, they get a lot of rejections because a lot of recruiters just see them as a project manager applying for a marketing position. So what are yep. some common mistakes that these professionals are making in their job search in terms of transferring, pivoting to another field that you have identified when you work with your clients? Yeah, I think some of the biggest mistakes they make is they don't take enough credit for all of their skills right? You feel like if you're not an expert, or maybe if you manage a team and didn't do the work directly, whatever the case may be, you leave on average, I'm saying like half of the things that you've done in your life on the table because you think it's not important. And so in reality, there are things that, you know, you do bring to the table, you just not taking credit for it. The other thing is that people don't understand what I believe is the basic fundamental need and desire of every single hiring manager. And there's only one, there's only one thing that every hiring manager wants. And if you can figure, you know, and what that is, is that hiring manager wants to know, are you the person to get me what I want? Right? The one thing I always say is that hiring is the biggest buying decision that someone will ever make not using their own money. And when you think about the process you go through to buy something, right, whether it's, you know, a house or, you know, a toy or whatever it is, like, think about that process. What do you want? Is it going to give you what you need? And so as an applicant, you need to really understand what is motivating that hiring manager. Do they want a promotion? You know, do they want to just be able to not work 60 hours a week and have somebody pick up the load? You know, are they looking to be seen as a better leader? But when you start to figure that out and you show them how you can help them get what they want then all of a sudden it doesn't matter what you can or can't do because they want to hire you. And how do you convey that like in an interview or even on a resume? Well, you know, you convey that by doing your homework, right? You convey that by having informational interviews with people that are in the types of roles that you want to understand the entire landscape and the ecosystem of what you're trying to get into. You know, you can convey that by telling good stories and by creating a resume that's really focused on outcomes, not tasks of the things that you've done. 
You know, your entire brand, if you will, especially when you're looking to make a change or whether it's internally within the organization or externally needs to be all about impact. It needs to be all about value and, you know, not the bells and whistles and the widgets. And so I think when you start to change that perception that people think of you of you're a project manager versus you're a get stuff done person, right? And that's a totally different mindset, right? Marketing is basically a different type of project. You know, so whether it's getting creatives and the con- the text and all that kind of fun stuff, or whether you're, you know, doing a technology project, you're still moving things, you know, bringing in experts, getting them all together and moving it on. So you have to position yourself that way, using that example that you threw out there. It's about showing your skills and adaptability and flexibility, right? Well, and your impact, right? It's about showing, you know, why organizations have been better with you there than not. And then drawing that connection, that story on why the next person will have the same outcome. You make a good point about like showing your impact and how you're a valuable person at your company. And they'd be a lot worse off if you're no longer there. A lot of people don't think that they do a lot of valuable things at their work. For example, if you're like an administrative assistant just organizing files, you may not think that is that important. But if you're not there, who's actually going to do it? Maybe the next person coming in doesn't organize files as well as you do, right? So maybe you've implemented systems to help them become more efficient. A lot of people don't truly see the real impact that they make, right? So it's good for a coach like you to really help them highlight those skills, right? Well, yeah. And I think everybody makes an impact or else why are you there? So if you think about your job at any level and you think about things in terms of time, cost, and quality... And, you know, what impact do you have on one or more of those things? Then you can start to get comfortable with it in your own head on what impact am I making, right? So are you helping things get done faster? Are you helping things get done with a higher degree of quality? Are you helping things get done cheaper? You know, those are the things, those are the three things that every company, you know, those are levers that they can pull. And so when you think about what do I do? And how does that impact the time, cost, and quality of my department, my company, whatever? Then you can start to talk that value language that everyone wants to hear. Great. And going back to your story, what was the tipping point of you deciding that, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to make my next move. What was the tipping point in that? And then how did you discover that coaching was the next move at that point for you? For me, the tipping point, quite frankly, you know, not to get too much into an off topic, was where the country was headed politically. That was my tipping point. So, you know, we've been here five years. So do the math on, you know, what was going on back then. And my daughter was graduating college. So I was like, okay, great. We're out. And it was funny because I would always watch CNBC every morning because I had to know what was going on in the markets before I was going in. And Belize was just doing a giant marketing campaign, you know, basically saying, come here, we love you. So I'm like, where's Belize? And then we're avid scuba divers, you know, so it just made all the sense in the world for us to move down here. But, you know, so for me, it was just, I was bored with what I was doing. You know, I just really didn't feel like there was anything else left for me to do in that space because I was a transformation expert. And so, you know, at that sea level doing big transformations, mergers, acquisitions, massive, you know, economic and, and, you know, geopolitical issues, especially in banking, like that was all the stuff that I did during the mortgage crisis, the financial crisis, you know, 9-11, you name it. You know, so I'd fought some pretty big battles with some great teams along the way. And, you know, I just felt like there was nothing else that I would be excited to do. And I always knew that I wanted to be a coach in my soft retirement, which was still another, you know, 10, 15 years away. I never knew what kind of coach. I'm just like, yeah, that's what I'll probably do. And so I decided why not accelerate that? 
And so that's what I did. Nice. How did you get buy-in from your husband in regards to making that move? Because you work with clients that only have 10 to 15 years left. They might have families and stuff and their drastic career move might alter the lives of their families, right? So how do you recommend initiating those conversations so you get buy-in from them? Well, obviously I wasn't married at the time. So, but my partner and I, you know, he and I moved down. So, and he's as much of a traveler as I am. So that was a no brainer for us, you know, and there is a timing for everything. I'm not saying everyone should move to a tropical island, right? If you've got small kids and you still have to stay for college, that's probably not your best next move. But I think anytime you make a move, there's an impact, right? Whether you're making significantly more money, you may have to move to a new city, have different hours, you know, just that kind of thing. But I think in terms of the nuclear family, right, the ones that you live with, when you're happier, everyone is happier. And that I think we all get stuck in this, you know, materialistic trap of, I need to keep up with my neighbors. I need to have an Amazon box on my front door every day. I need to make sure that I've got the coolest car and the this and the that. And you don't, right? And so when we back ourselves into just soul crushing careers that just force us to mortgage our happiness, instead of saying, you know what, I'm okay driving a Honda instead of a Tesla. And I'm okay, you know, not going to Africa on my vacation, but going to Italy instead. You know, when you're okay doing those kind of trade-offs, first of all, you know, you don't have to make less money. But if you are in a situation where you do, you know, the day-to-day happiness, the impact that you're making and the joy that that brings just bleeds into everything else. And it just makes everything a no-brainer in terms of having that conversation with the family. Going back to what you said in our initial discussion, uh, beginning of our conversation, people have a hard time categorizing or like making sure Compartmentalizing. basically they can't leave work at work and it bleeds into their personal life, right? People Mm -hmm. say, oh, I'll leave it at work. But the thing is like, as you may have been aware that when you go higher up in the corporate ladder, it tends to bleed into home life as well, right? Because the people I know that are in uh, senior positions, they sometimes have to take work home. So it's one of those things like, Yes, you, you try to keep work at work, but sometimes you can't do that. And at that point, it's going to bleed into the family. And if you're not happy with what you're doing, the people in the household are also going to feel that negative energy, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't believe for a minute that you have to take work home at any level. And I think these are boundaries that people choose to set or not. And so just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you have to do it too. And it's about being effective and getting stuff done. It's not about showing up, right? And saying, hey, look at me. I logged on at 10 o'clock at night because that's not going to get you anywhere. And I found the higher up you go, the more you're seen working off hours, the more it damages your executive presence. It doesn't help. And, you know, when people start to think differently about their career. So one of the big things I'm always telling people at every stage of their career is that you need to treat your career like a business and that you are the CEO of you incorporated. And when you start to treat your career like a business and when you start to show up differently, and here's an example, how many times have you seen your clients? And I've seen it a million times if I've seen it once where people take on extra work, get more responsibility with no extra pay. Yeah, that happens all the time. Happens all the time, right? And yet we take it like, oh, well, they'll make it up to me later. And we all know that that never happens. Yet if you are treating, now if you're a consultant and you're working with a client, and they give you extra work. That's called scope creep. You get more money for that. So when you start to say, no, I'm happy to do the work, but not unless I'm compensated for it. And if that's not good here, it will be good somewhere else. 
and realize that that is the value that you bring to the table and hold companies to a higher standard. Because trust me, if you're good at what you do, they will pay you, not unless you ask for it. So those are just things that I think the earlier you can start to build those that mindset into your career, the more fulfilled you'll be and then the more success you'll have as you go along. One of the common things that new grads do when they land their first corporate job is they want to impress their bosses, right? So they tend to be a bit too keen into working and then they work unnecessary hours like after five and then they build up this bad habit as they go higher up the ladder which i think that goes back to this goal group you mentioned they got so used to like working over and above the 5 p.m now they feel burnt out and they don't know what to do because they can't they find it hard to take a step back saying okay i don't want to do this anymore because then the executive team the people that manage them sees that the workload has now decreased but the issue is that they were actually working more hours than necessary before right so now there's that fear of like if they pull back it might seem as not performing as well? You know, people are afraid of it. I've never seen it actually happen, right? I've seen people pull back, still get the job done because that's what it's about. It's about being effective, not about, you know, how many hours you're logged in. As long as the job is getting done and you're able to continue to make that impact, for most good managers, it doesn't matter how much time you put in. I think we just kind of freak ourselves out before we even try to peel back, right? And a lot of times we take on work that's not important. Right. So if you're going to take on an extra project, make sure it's not what I call a doormat project. Right. There are extra projects that are highly valuable and highly critical to the organization and visible. Take those. Don't take the doormat projects, which are just the crap that no one wants to do anyway. You know, so get rid of the stuff that no one cares about. If that's what's keeping you working longer, focus on your core job. Be very clear on what success looks like in terms of your boss's expectations and deliver that and then go home and have fun and have a life. Great tips. Yeah, I completely agree. Doing busy work that doesn't really move the needle is not helping you be more productive, right? It's just making you busy for no reason. That's right. So in terms of your coaching business right now and how you've helped people make career pivots, what are some other challenges that you've seen in clients in terms of trying to make that move in terms of turning their Sunday scaries around to loving Mondays again, besides the fear of like having to take a step back in order to start fresh? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that I see at all stages in people's career, which is, you know, interesting that it doesn't matter how much you work or how long you work, is people don't know what they want to do next. I know what I don't want to do. I'm really clear on that, but I don't know what I do want to do. And I think that's really the thing that holds a lot of people back from, you know, making that pivot. It's like, okay, so even if I did have the courage to change, I don't know what I want to change to. (laughs) So therein lies the the challenge, you know, and, and that's really where our career changing and our career strategy programs that we help them unwind that, right? And figure out, okay, what is the best thing for your next big move? And so I think it's important to realize that, everyone struggles with this, right? No one has this burning desire to say, my calling is to do this. I've known it since birth. I mean, first of all, I don't think that's even true for anybody, but you know, if it is, it's very small. So there's no shame in not knowing what's next, but there is shame in staying stuck. And so use the resources that you've got available, get help to figure out and help you think through the process of what is your next big thing. A common thing for people trying to make moves on their own is, as you know, job hopping, right? And I've seen this with people before where they stay at the job for a couple of years, they're not happy with it, and then they move on to another job, uh, they get more pay, 
they're excited the first couple of months and then they end up not liking anymore. They obviously can't make a move that quick. So they stay another couple of unhappy years and then they make a move again. So it's more like chronic job hopping. So what do you think are some of the attributes to that? And what's the underlying issues that they haven't discovered yet? Well, first of all, I disagree that you can't make a move if a job doesn't fit, no matter how long or short you've been there. So in today's environment, being able to explain why you're making moves, I think is fine. No one expects people to stay forever. This is, you know, an antiquated line of thinking, you know, so people stay stuck because they have this belief that I've got to stay somewhere for a certain amount of time. And you don't, obviously you're not going to do that five times in a row, (laughs) you know, but no one has this quote unquote perfect career path. So stop trying, don't worry about it. But I think what happens is people don't spend enough time thinking about themselves thinking about what lights me up, what makes me tick, what gives me energy and drive and enthusiasm. We spend too much time trying to hope someone else will like us, right? And when they do, we're like, oh, cool. And we don't spend any time thinking, do you fit me? And, you know, I've had several times in my career where I've been sitting in a role and my manager and I are an amazing, you know, sync, rock star status, everything is going great. And then an org change happens. I get a new boss. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of a week or two, I've gone from hero to zero because we don't think alike. Yet nothing has changed other than that one person. And so, you know, I know what, and you know what happens when that happens is like everything just starts to fall apart. And you start to second guess yourself and you start to do all those things. And so to stay in a situation like that makes no sense. So you need to have real good clarity on what fits you and find that fit versus trying to fit into other organizations and cultures. Because that's when you get there and you're like, ah, now I'm regretting this, right? I'm like, okay, I love the big paycheck, but everything else, I got a crazy boss. You know, my peers, they don't get me. Like, this is all a hot mess. And so, but when you know this is the environment that I thrive in and you interview them as much as they interview you to make sure it is the environment that you thrive in, you're going to make less of those mistakes. Yeah, a common mistake that people make is that they try so hard to impress the interviewer that they forget that they actually have to work their 40 hours a week. Yes, yes. And they ideally will have a growth path, right? And not just show up every day and collect a paycheck, but to grow and learn and continue to make an impact. So yeah, I think it's important. And as you're aware, there's a lot of recession talk, high inflation, cost of living. So there's a lot of fear going around in North America. So it goes back to the fear of like wanting to make a change right now because there's so much uncertainty in the economic climate. So what is your recommendation for people who really want to make a move, but there's so much uncertainty with the world right now that they fear if they make this wrong move, it might be disastrous. If they stay, it might be disastrous. It depends on the company you're with, right? I mean, if your company is struggling, then you don't want to be on the struggle bus. That's for sure. So we're in an interesting time right now, because even though all of the economic indicators are not happy, right? I'm looking at my portfolio and shedding a tear every morning, but there is still a significant labor shortage. And there is still a significant like hangover in terms of the great resignation and people who want to work remote and people who are quitting, you know, or even the quiet quit society, right? The ones that are just sitting in place and and not doing anything. So quite frankly, I think economic uncertainty is when I was always able to significantly grow. Because when everyone else is hiding under their desks, hoping not to get fired, then the opportunity to scale and to grow and to thrive is even better. 
And so from the, you know, so I look at this as like, this is the best time to surge. Not when everybody else has the confidence, but when everybody else is hiding under their desks. And when you're smart about it, in terms of enduring economic uncertainty, there are always winners and losers. Always. No one, you know, there is never a situation where everything is losing. Not even in the markets. So from that perspective, pay attention and look at the industries that are growing, the companies that are thriving, you know, and that kind of stuff. Make a move to there because the labor shortage is significant. The need for talent is real. And your opportunity to have that competitive advantage is huge right now. So I think this is the perfect time to make a move. You make a point, like whether the economics doing well or not doing well, there are winners and losers regardless of what situation it is, right? So it's not like a recession, everybody loses. There are some that are still going to win, right? It's whether they want to take action or not. Yes. And if your company is not one of them, don't be the last man on the Titanic, right? People think, oh, it's economic uncertainty. I'm going to stay in place. And then they don't do anything. Then they get laid off. Like, well, that was a dumb idea, wasn't it? Right. So you should always, you know, make sure you've got your next thing in mind. Make sure that your network is fired up, whether you need it or not, especially when you don't need it. That's the best time to do that. You know, but you always want to be in that passive mode so that way, as opportunities become available or present themselves, that you are ready all the time. That's my advice. Yeah. They say the best time to network or the best time to apply for a job is when you don't need one, right? Correct. So that because you don't have all your eggs in this one basket and it just has to work or you're screwed. Yeah, there's this misguided perception that because you get a W-2, you're secure. And we all know that's not true. We want to believe it's true, but we really know it's not. You know, I do a lot of group coaching. I do like live events and, and stuff like that where, you know, we'll have, I don't know, 50, 60 people. And, you know, I'm like, show of hands, how many people have been let go? You know, 99% of the people have been let go at least once, you know, often through no fault of their own, right? Downsizing, you know, mergers, acquisitions, whatever. Unless you take control of your career, you will always at some point in time in your career be a victim to something that you're not prepared for. So don't let that happen. Yeah. When you do things and be proactive, things will happen for you if you just wait and just sit by and then things will happen to you, right? That's Correct. the saying. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Your life is going to change, right? It's just a question of, are you going to do it or is somebody else going to do it for you? Yeah. Doing nothing doesn't mean nothing happens. It's just that it's going to happen to you instead of Correct. you taking action yeah. to make it yeah. happen for you. You know, so yeah. So I think a lot of the, you know, the, I'm going to shelter in place, if you will, for a bit. It's a dangerous strategy. I think, you know, doing nothing is one of the most dangerous things you can do for your career. Absolutely. And that leads me to my next point. When you moved to Belize, it was obviously a huge change, right? Because you moved to a different country. <laughs> That's uh, different... an understatement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it exactly. Not... So you made a huge, yeah, drastic exactly. change. There's also like, people have a fear of failure, but there's also a fear of success of like, okay, I finally made this move, but now I'm nervous. I don't know what to do next. So in your time and in your first couple of years at Belize, like how did you like adapt and prosper during those times of uncertainty? Well, you know, my partner, he's had his own business for over 20 years. So, cause you're right, I was a hot mess, right? I'm used to a big paycheck. I'm used to those bonuses. And I was just like, okay, now here we go. And so his advice and steady, you know, reassurance was always very helpful when I was in those moments of, cause I would go, you know, I'm an excellent coach and I'm a great career strategist. And obviously as an executive, I've seen a lot of things, but I've never been an entrepreneur. And so this was a completely new journey for me, you know, and so going through and trying to figure things out, making mistakes and recovering. And, you know, these are all the things that I did throughout my entire career. Only the difference now is I was doing it with 
my own money, which changed everything, right? Instead of practicing on your company's time. And so fortunately throughout my career, I've developed a high agility to adjust and to test and to learn. And so I pivot fast. And so I'll try something, realize that was a knucklehead move, bail on it, go someplace else, right? And so I was always tweaking. I still, you know, five years later, I'm still tweaking and adjusting and adding. And like, it's just a big experiment, right? Like this company is a giant Petri dish of just experimenting to see how do we get our clients, you know, more clients? How do we get the best experience for them possible? You know, how do we bring in a community that just has those career advocates at their side? Because let's face it, HR is not going to be that for you. And, you know, where do we, you know, how do we do that? And so it's that constant testing. It's that constant, you know, keep what works, get rid of what doesn't and, you know, try something new. And people should be doing that in their careers as well. I think we play it too safe sometimes. And, you know, taking those risks and really trying to use that are amazing opportunities to grow. But it's also fun, right? So if you've got that right mindset, it can also be a lot of fun. Elaborate more on the fun part because it seems like it's very negative. Like, oh, I'm so scared of making this career shift. Oh, I made this career shift. Now I don't know what to do. But you said that it could be fun if you embrace it, right? So tell us more about that mindset. Well, you know, there's success. You know, let me just, I mean, failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is part of success. You will never, ever, ever succeed without failing first, ever, right? And, you know, the one thing that I really try and impress upon my clients is that if you knew that you had to fail 35 times to get what you wanted, you do it because you knew it's 35 times. It's like, okay, one down, another one down, right? And you're at 34, like, okay, next one, I'm going to get it because you know that there's a certainty at the end that you're going to get it. But the thing is, we don't know, right? We don't know, is it 35 times? Is it 135 times? Is it four? We don't know. And so many of my clients just leave it like at the 10 yard line. And this is that that last push would have been the one to just get them what they've always wanted. And so that's where the resiliency comes in to realize that failure is not the opposite of success. I can't be successful unless I fail and learn. And that, you know, the next time there will be a time for you. And to understand that it's not black or white, right? Failure and success, according to who? According to what? Like, are you comparing yourself to your peers? Are you setting the bar, you know, too high or too low for yourself? Like, what does that even mean, failure and success? So really understanding, you know, what you want, really want, not what you think you're supposed to want, because everybody told you that's what you're supposed to want. And, you know, realizing that failure is just a part of getting what you want. It's just an everyday occurrence in my life. <laughs> like, like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something new, you know, but without that mindset, you'll never grow. Yeah, I think when people are young, their definition of success is getting that house or getting that car, right? It's very materialistic metrics of success. But then as you get older, you realize that it's more of the intrinsic stuff, what makes you fulfilled, and that's true success. Yes, and you can move out and get a car and still feel fulfilled, right? So it's not one or the other. Yeah, like it's about balance. Some might be yeah. too extreme on one side, but that's again, it. like there's no right answer. It's what's right for you and what you want. And at that time. Right. Because I think there's a season for everything. And what's important to you now is not going to be important to you 10 years from now. Guaranteed. It, right. So we continue to check in to be like, OK, so what is important to me? And is it still important to me or has things changed? You know, that kind of stuff I think is important to continue to check in with. So you've been at Belize for five years, right? If I remember. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So if you were to go back five years ago and you're going to make a drastic move, would you still consider Belize or would you do something different? 
Uh, no, I think this was a perfect first step for us. It was just an easy transition with all the things that kind of lined up that gives us energy joy. But actually right now we're country shopping. So we love it here. We've been here for five years, but next spring we'll be living in a new country. We just don't know which one yet. So we're doing some country shopping now to see what our next adventure is. That's awesome. And for someone who has listened to this whole conversation, what are some like next steps that you would recommend someone that has these Sunday scaries and are looking to finally make a move to live a life that they want? Yeah, I, you know, get help, right? Reach out to people like Max, like me. You know, my demographic is a little bit later in their career, but I've got tons of free resources that work for everyone at every stage of their career. But, you know, you're focused on being an expert at what you do for a living, not running a career strategy, right? And that's okay. So work with people who are experts at career strategy and, you know, don't settle for things that don't light you up until you've actually tried. And, you know, so I think those are things that I would like to leave your audience with. Yeah. Most people think that they'll regret not doing something, but they actually regret more for, yeah. Yeah. If you don't do it, you're going to regret that more than having done it and not got all the results that you wanted for sure. Yep. There's some stuff I've done when I was younger, but it's one of those things I'm actually glad I did it because now I can move on. Right. Now you know. Yeah. Now I know. Right. So you know, that's right. Yeah. It was interesting. I was just having lunch earlier today with a teenager that I mentor here on the Island and she knows her rough time right now, you know, but like her earlier growing up has prepared her for this. Like, she's like, that sucked. I'm like, yeah, but look how much easier it is for you to do this now because you went through that and it was hard. Now this is easier. And so I think the more resilience you build, you know, the more you persevere through things that are just not sunshine and roses, the better off you are in uh, being able to adapt to anything that life throws at you along the way. Yeah. There's a saying that failure is just learning lessons to help build resilience for you to achieve that success, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I really appreciate you coming on my podcast. And I always ask this question for all my guests near the end of our conversation. So as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges. In this case, eliminating Sunday scaries to live a Monday that they want. So for you, what has been the biggest challenge in your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? I think the biggest challenge was being the youngest female at the leadership table almost all the time. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, in Wall Street's a very male dominated industry. And, you know, so I think that was, you know, gaining the credibility and overcoming the imposter syndrome for myself. Like there was so many times I got promoted and I'm like, I have no idea how that happened. And I don't, I don't belong here. And so, you know, so it was a mixture of like promoting myself to be like, yes, you do deserve and you do belong here, even though I didn't think I really did. And then gaining that credibility with my peers, you know, and being able to really compete and make that impact as the youngest and only female on the leadership table most of the time. Going back to what you said about the imposter syndrome, when people make transitions or make pivots, they'll have that experience, right? Even if they have those transferable skills. So what is your recommendation there when they feel that imposter syndrome? Say, for example, that that project manager example that I brought up, let's say Mm -hmm. they do end up pivoting into a marketing role and they work with a whole bunch of experienced marketers and they feel feel that imposter syndrome because they don't really have direct marketing experience. So they don't know how much they can contribute. So how do you combat that? You know, I think that the best way that I learned how to combat it was, you know, to do what I called shut up and listen, right? So instead of coming in and trying to prove yourself or show everybody how smart you are, just take a couple of weeks, months, whatever it takes, depending on where you are and what you're doing to learn 
and to listen and to understand the context behind things. You know, go back to situations where you've had imposter syndrome before, because we all have it. It's situational. And what are the things that you did to get out of it the last time? And then do that again. So those would be my recommendations for that. Yeah. It goes back to the learning lesson part, right? If you fail at something, the next time you encounter it, you know what not to do, right? Correct. Same thing. Really appreciate the time, Tammy. So how can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Sure, absolutely. So we have always got stuff going on in terms of challenges and boot camps and programs and all that kind of fun stuff, free resources, you name it. So if you hit us up at careerwinnerscircle.com, you'll find everything that you need right there. Awesome, Tammy. Again, I appreciate the conversation and enjoy your weekend in Belize. Thank you, Max. Have a great weekend and it's great talking to you. Thanks for the invite. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.